0: Okay. And
1: we're back. <laughs> here we go. Now I'm camera shy.
0: We're freaking out because we're recording into the script, which is a podcasting software that transcribes your voice as you're talking into it.
1: Oh, uh, as... and it types out the text. Yeah. Oh, you just said that. It just...
0: <laughs> Steph is freaking
1: out. <laughs> I'm just not gonna look at it. But yeah, have a little bit of brain fog today, so bear with me here.
0: What is on the agenda for today? I have a few things and...
1: I have a few things too. Woo!
0: Together, that makes a few awesome things.
1: Maybe. you
0: want to (laughs) go? Why don't you go first? What's on your mind?
1: A topic I think is interesting and cool to have people think on a bit.
0: Is this something you've been thinking about recently?
1: This is what we were talking about last night when I watched the Jake Paul Netflix special, or we both did. And then Andrew asked me if you were, if you lived like Jake Paul, like you just didn't give a fuck what people thought about you, what would be different in your life? And he was trying to think, and I was trying to think, and we're like, holy shit, I don't even know. <laughs> and it was actually a really interesting question that I've been pondering since, and even still having a hard time coming up with just if i really didn't care like what would be available what is out there for me in another universe where i just don't care what people think at all and i think it's a good question to ask yourself because for me i don't see specific pictures in my mind but i do feel like a sense of freedom and excitement and i feel like i would feel those things more on a daily basis if i did what i really wanted I would be more excited every day. I would have more fun doing what I do every day. I would probably interact with a lot more people in fun ways and collaborate. I would be more controversial. And yeah, I just feel like life would be more adventurous.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about whether or not I would enjoy life more. Necessarily, because I think I feel very happy and I don't...
1: I feel like I'm holding back. I don't feel fully content with the way I'm doing things. Because I've felt more like I've had a few years ago when I was putting out content and like really not giving a fuck. And that was the freest I've ever felt in my life. And I know what it feels like to be there. And I know that I've been feeling more constricted over three years later. So I I wasn't where I totally not giving a fuck, but I was pretty out there in terms of like my Instagram stories. Like I would say the weirdest shit, I would be silly like I am with you, like just to everyone. And people thought it was hilarious. And it was just fun interacting, just being like straight up myself, not caring and not thinking twice before I shared something. And that was like the most fun I've ever had in my work and my work I do every day. So it was a more enjoyable lifestyle
0: what would it take for you to get back to that place of freedom and self-expression
1: i don't know that's what i've been thinking about since you asked me that last night i'm just like what like what what happened what happened <laughs> well, i got him away yeah i guess with more followers you definitely get some criticism but I don't remember any like specific criticism that made me feel like I had to shut down or who quiet. was mean to you? <laughs> I don't know. I just I think it was like I think it was had a lot to do with when I went viral. I told you that before. I think that was a big piece because I was like, whoa, there's like millions of people watching my shit. And this is no longer like a little following that I know loves me anymore. This is like people, random people who just started following me. "Ah, What are they going to think of me? And now I'm talking about sex. And I think when I started talking about sex too, it became a little more like watching my words around the whole like gender language and men and women. I used to very freely be like, men are more like this, women are more like this. And now it's, I feel like I can't talk like that. I feel like... I have to use the word your partner more, which I never used to use. I just took on like this different language that didn't feel as natural, which made more sense based on where society's at. But then again, not really, because I'm speaking to heterosexual men who are with female partners or want to be with female partners, women. Yeah, I just think that a lot of constrictions came with a bigger audience and also the, the topic and... The cautiousness of the language around the topic. Especially like when people would share fetishes, and at first I I would share I, I remember making, oh and it's probably still out there, but like just making a podcast responding to people's fetishes that they sent me sent into me. And I'm like going through and I'm laughing at some and being like, oh boy, that's a little like out there and just now that I look now that I've educated myself down the road I realized wow I was like shaming these people and that was actually the one negative podcast review I got that was like she was making fun of people's like sexual desires it's fucked up and like at the time I was like wait what I was and then I I did realize that like I was because I was so uncomfortable and I wasn't educated enough to be in that space for long enough so I think sex itself can be a very it's, very, it's still so taboo. So for someone to be fully comfortable with it in private is one, is one thing, a whole, a whole level. And then for me to be public and be like sharing not only about my own sexual preferences and experiences, which is hard to share, but I share in little ways. Yeah, I just think that whole thing is just scary to dive fully into and just not give a fuck while I'm doing it.
0: So there's all these restraints you've put on yourself because there's this voice in the back of your head that says, what if you say this wrong? Mm -hmm. What if you're,
1: what if you shame them on accident? What if you, what if all the LGBT people come after you and start like, a hate thread on you thinking that you're homophobic or thinking that you're against them because you're working with heterosexual men. I get shit for working with heterosexual men too. So it's, yeah, I guess the fear of being judged, the fear of being a hater or even being accused of like actual hate crimes. That's like a legit fear in the space because if there's so many offended people today very easily and they could very easily twist your words, there's a caution around that.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it all comes down to, which, I mean, that's the point of all this, is that you care what all these people yeah. think. Even if your intentions are not bad, right? even if yeah. you have good intentions, then things can be misconstrued and what if... And, and, and this is something that I think is really interesting because you're not actually afraid of what people think of you you're not actually afraid of what people might say about you or you're not actually afraid of saying something wrong you're afraid of the feeling that will come from any of those things you're afraid of feeling
1: everything we fear the thing we fear the feeling but
0: that's interesting right like why So then I guess if we're just unpacking this, it's like, can you be okay? I think there's a couple parts to it the way I'm seeing it. One is, can you be okay making a mistake? Feeling like, oh, I made a mistake and feeling a little guilty about that. Can you be okay with that? Because if if people accuse you of something, and maybe sometimes they're right about something you did and you're like, wow, I have to own up to the way that this came off or this thing that I said, it wasn't my intention. But because you can always do that. So it's it's so silly for us to be afraid of feeling like we did something wrong or feeling a sense of guilt. Yeah. Like, why do we let those things? I think
1: too. Sometimes it is a fear of also personal attack. Especially with women, it's like image. It's like guys who leave comments sometimes. They're like, "Where's her OnlyFans? I want to fuck her." Like getting DMs. Like I want to fuck your pussy, like just like getting random stuff like that too.
0: So is, is that a fear of, shh, is that a fear of?
1: That's a fear of me exposing myself to more of that. Because if I put myself out there more and if I share more sex related experiences around my life the more susceptible I am to those kinds of messages that freak me out and make me uncomfortable. And also messages that mock my like call out Body image, like appearing stuff. That's something I hear from women all the time. They're like, you're gonna, they're gonna show you insecurities you never knew you had. (laughs) The only way, what? (laughs) They'll make fun of you for things you never thought twice about. (laughs) So that's definitely something too, where it's like the personal attack of just being more exposed to more people and then having to prepare for all these types of feelings, like not just the guilt of what I might say in regards to the topic, but also the harassment and the personal humiliation or like embarrassing like judgment, whatever. So
0: what is the shield for all of this? Is it just...
1: Jake Paul, secu- what are you thoughts Is it just security?
0: <laughs> is it just truly like being a more secure person where you don't give a shit because you love who you are and you don't really care what, that other people think anything in particular about you because you're just more confident and it's like this And and if that's the answer, then I guess the question becomes like, how do you become a more secure person? How do you move yourself in that direction? Part of the answer probably is like the more you expose yourself to these things that make you feel insecure and the more you get used to it, does that make you more secure? Like, how do you become, how do you become more secure? I know when I've moved towards a stronger sense of security, it's come from it's come from transparency. For me, it's come from just putting all of myself out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and just putting the burden of what other people think on them and being like, whatever you think, like, you're entitled to your opinion, that's, that's your problem. It's not, it's not. It's
1: not. Yeah. And I think I'm good at, because I definitely had judgment where I, I could just, block the person and just be like, oh, they're just like a miserable person look at it that way. But I feel like if I had a lot of those, it might, like, I don't know if I'm ready for a larger amount. And that's why I think I stay in this certain area, exposing myself. But I think it is like being exposed to it and showing yourself that you can deal with it and you can handle it. And if you can't handle it, like working through it at that time. Okay, why is this like getting to me so much? Why is this one comment like sticking on my mind for the last month? And then maybe working through that part of your life or your body or your education.
0: Yeah. And I think also it's probably important to recognize that for a lot of these people who it seems like they don't give a shit, like I'll bet you something still penetrates once in a while. Yeah something still gets at them. that's what i
1: think too i don't think anyone just doesn't give a fuck at all because we're human beings like things are going to get to us but it's just you know yeah can you see that and handle it as as a way of staying secure with yourself and knowing that there are just people out there who are gonna do that and they are sad people like there's no i don't believe that there's
0: a happy person who's going yeah. to... A
1: fully content person who's happy with their lives, who's going to be...
0: Subject someone else that. to, like, negative... Yeah. A negative experience. Like, why would you? You wouldn't. Yeah. You don't wish suffering on, on other people unless you yourself are suffering.
1: Yeah. That's
0: I mean, you're further ahead than I am because I think the one thing that I would do more of, that I would do period... There's, there's two things I think I would do differently. One is I think if I didn't give a fuck, I would think a lot bigger. I think I would do probably very similar things to what I'm doing now in terms of starting businesses, building a business, hiring a team. I really love the general path I'm on. I'm just thinking too small. I'm thinking much smaller than I would if I just didn't give a fuck.
1: Do you know what would shift in terms of like your work life?
0: No, I don't even know. This was part of one of my challenge at when we went to the Landmark Forum was I didn't Mm -hmm. even know what else I would do because that I think comes from a place of how do I want the world to look and then bending the universe to that and I've never even put enough thought Into how is the world different than I think it should look, and what problem of those things of those problems that I think need solving, which one of those should I tackle? I've thought about it, good glimpses of thinking about it, but like I've never really exposed myself to that deep kind of thinking. So I don't even know what I would do differently. It would be something similar, actions what I'm doing now, just on a much bigger scale and solving much bigger, more interesting problems.
1: Mm -hmm. The other thing, which is very different.
0: It isn't. A lot of entrepreneurs and venture capitalists talk about how, and even my own advisor, Morgan, who's the, on the board of my pest control marketing company, he's told me that the it requires the same amount of effort to build a really large business and tackle a really big idea as it does a small idea and a small business. Really? Yeah. It's just different ways of thinking in terms of the systems you build, in terms of what you ask of other people. Mm. But it's the same hours that you have to put into it. It's the same kind of effort that's required to make it successful. It's just in one, if you're thinking smaller, it's because you you probably just believe in yourself a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking bigger, because you believe in yourself more, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) which Leads me to something that I've been thinking about recently and really ties closely into this, which is Tony Robbins' success cycle. Have I shared this with you? or have you?
1: I think you have, but remind me.
0: So the success cycle is belief, potential, results, belief. So the amount of belief you have determines the amount of potential you have. The amount of potential you tap into determines the amount of action you take. The amount of action you take determines the amount of results you get. The results you get determine the belief in yourself. So it's actually belief, potential, action, results. And that is a flywheel where the more you believe in yourself, the more potential you have, the bigger action you take, the more results you get, which creates even more belief in yourself, so, this is when we
1: had that conversation where we're like, "What comes first, belief, belief or action, or yeah. result?
0: Belief or action,
1: or belief or action?"
0: Yeah. And according to Tony Robbins, it's belief, and I, I agree with that. I do think it's belief because if you don't believe, if you don't, if you really don't believe, you're not going to take action. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt said, "Never underestimate a man who overestimates himself," which again makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. just how far belief will will get you
1: yeah that's cool to think about it reminds me like when i first started my business and i didn't know i didn't know anything. i just went in with such a what's it called when you're just like certain an n a naive belief what's the phrase that means that naive belief in oneself there's like a certain ignorance ignorant bliss and i was just like so excited and didn't know anything and i would just get on these calls and like hardcore sell and be like, you have to believe this. Like, I can do this for you 100%. I'm like, why was I so confident, like just starting out? Like, it's so funny thinking back on that, but that's what got everything started. was just, I believed in myself and I believed in them more than they believed in themselves, which is really important.
0: Yeah, I thought I was gonna get rich six months after starting my first business. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was just gonna happen (laughs) so quickly and I was gonna be a millionaire. I a millionaire in my twenties and just thought <laughs> all the online gurus were right and that I could and to to a certain point, none of that is impossible. It's just belief, potential action, results. And so even though I thought all those things, did I really believe in myself? Like did I really believe that I was capable of what I dreamt of? Eh. Not really. I was a pretty insecure guy. Were my actions aligned with that? Eh, I was smoking a lot of pot, <laughs> and and I think you can be successful smoking pot, but for me personally, it definitely doesn't doesn't help. <laughs> for the most part, it doesn't help. It, it can get the creative juices flowing a bit, but I know it's more of a detriment to to my success in the direction I want to go than anything. So, something for us to ponder: How do we? How do give less fucks and expose ourselves to being able to do... I know for me, I'd create a lot more content. I would create content, period. Mm. That's one thing that... That's part of what this is, creating content. Yeah. It's a lot easier for me to think about these conversations as you and I just making it for ourselves and talking about our own personal experiences as opposed to making content that's supposed to do something. Do something. Yeah. So for me, this is part of putting myself out there and trying to give less fucks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think this is definitely a step for me, too, because I usually don't share the background stuff like this with my audience. So I'm not used to sharing this stuff. But I also would love to share more personal posts on my Instagram feed, like the actual feed,
0: which you've been doing more of lately and you've been getting a lot of love for it.
1: No, on my stories I have been.
0: Oh, on your I'm saying
1: on my feed. Got it. Like I see like me tapped into my full potential would be me like having, like I could just see a boob update like in big bold letters. It's me like with a funny face and or just like a very animated like cover. And then it's like people see wherever they see like the boob update thumbnails, they can like continue the story and see what's going on. Or 75 hard. Fuck, it sucked when this happened. And then like just getting people in and finding a way to tie it to the way that I help people. But showing that personal outlet too, which I think most people resonate more with because it hits them emotionally. But, but yeah, just doing more stuff like that. Maybe there's one that will say, girl, plants my titties are out and I'm a millionaire, right? Like maybe... That's- <laughs> like things like that that are fun like a fun page like a page and i think to have a lot of fun with the whole sex topic is to yeah just not give a fuck talking about it and have fun with it that's what people love most about my content on stories they're like you make it sound fun like your podcast you make it sound lighthearted and fun i would love to like showcase more of that
0: i like it things for us to do
1: yeah this is an interesting topic. I had a client bring this up, and I know that guys have mentioned this to me before around the concept of being playful and feeling a pressure to be playful with women. Because on all these dating apps, women will say, I want a guy who makes me laugh. He has to make me laugh. And they're like, What am I, your clown? Like, <laughs> my client goes, I'm not your fucking clown. <laughs> I'm just dying. <laughs> but he's just like it's so he's i don't feel naturally like a playful guy. So now I have to go learn how to be playful to entertain women, like in order to date them and please them. It just feels they're looking for entertainment, not a partner. And I'm like, those women, you don't have to date. Yeah, I was going to say
0: that's that just means those women are not a good
1: fit for you. But still, I see that, yeah, like they're definitely not a good fit, but I still see that they're, I can still understand his viewpoint of feeling pressure to be playful because that's definitely something you hear all the time. Like, that is attractive in a guy. Like, he's funny and playful. That's one of the top...
0: Well, I think that's a common... That's a reasonable, common want Mm -hmm. from a woman.
1: I told him, I was like, you're playful in your own way. Like, maybe that's not the way you lead, personality-wise. Like, you don't lead with a playful, like, silliness, but it's still in you. And, And I think, like, the girl he's dating now, like, he got a little... Insecure because she said he asked her what is most important to you in a long-term relationship and she said playfulness and Having fun to get like being playful together and silly something like that So he immediately felt insecure and he's oh here She's one of those and I said no not necessarily She's a really stressful job because she does and I'm like so she may prioritize playfulness, especially In her relationship with a partner because she's what she's doing most of the time with her life is extremely draining and stressful so she relies on that and chances like if she's been with you she's been with you for months now and is more and more like interested in you so if if i were you i would ask what about our relationship has been playful like that you enjoy and then learn about yourself through her and ask her, like, what she's seeing in you that's playful. Maybe there are areas you're not aware of in yourself. and Yeah, and
0: also the, that's, that's that chronic assuming that takes place where for him to say, oh, here we go, she's one of those, instead of yeah. becoming curious and wondering, oh, that's interesting. What do you mean by playful?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't really think of myself as a playful person, but what we have seems to be working, so... Yeah, what do you What do you think, do you you think
1: prevents a guy from saying that? I feel like he wouldn't automatically respond with, "Oh, I don't see myself as playful." So like, how do you see me as playful? Like he instead gets insecure and feels like shut down and like attacked in a way.
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a, a very valuable skill in learning how to not make assumptions I'm not sure what comes before that but I know through my life I've had to really undo this chronic assuming that I used to do a lot and that used to cause me a Mm. lot of stress and anxiety and at some point I think for me I just realized it wasn't serving me and it becomes so obvious because you look back and If you have any level of self-awareness, you just realize, like, all these assumptions that I made just were not correct. And the results of making those assumptions and the actions I took based on those assumptions did not prove fruitful. They weren't beneficial to me or my relationships. So I think for me, once I isolated that making assumptions and acting on them was a cause of so much pain in my life, Then it just became a matter of changing that habit, just any habit, which is the thought enters your mind, such as, oh, here we go. She's one of those people catching that thought, separating yourself from it and being the awareness around that thought, and then redirecting and saying, how do I know that's true? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that you don't know that's true and becoming curious about the thing
1: you don't know it's true unless you ask from the source ask the source yeah and that's something he's gotten so much better at is like pausing and asking a question instead of getting built up defensiveness and then sabotaging relationships
0: he knows it's true that she prioritizes playfulness he doesn't know what playfulness means in her eyes
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: and so the question becomes what do you mean by playful Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah i told him to ask her that this weekend so we'll see see what she finds nice but yeah i wonder if that's like i wonder how common that is because i've heard a few guys bring that to my attention feel like they have to entertain and like a pressure around that i wonder if they're all in the same boat and they have that chronic assuming too, or if it comes from different places.
0: Yeah, and maybe also just seeing a pattern of it being shared that women like that and
1: Mm -hmm. want
0: that. And that's reasonable. And that's like, for me, when I would do online dating, I and you read the data about online dating, and you realize that most women who, like the far, far majority of women who pay for any of these apps and can filter out matches, the first thing they do is filter out for guys who are like under six feet tall. And me being 5'7", it'd be very, it's been easy for me to go to these headspaces in the past where I've thought, oh, I'm fucked because I'm like, <laughs> I'm 5'7". So that's what women want. And that's not who I am. Here we go. Oh, one of these yeah. women. So
1: I think that's a common, yeah, that's a common women chronic assumption it's oh he has to be six feet and then once they meet a guy who isn't they're like oh it's okay it's just so funny how that's the immediate like he has to be this and then in person it's a different story but
0: yeah in person it's a totally it's a totally different story
1: yeah
0: i think it's it's not unreasonable to naturally want a guy who is more
1: like why six foot
0: I think that's just the that's that's just the the kind of standard right like why ten thousand 000 steps yeah. why like you just you just pick these round numbers that are easy to assimilate to and and think that's the thing that you should be going for yeah yeah and six foot right six 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 foot six, six figures oh six pack i thought it was what is it six foot six figure six pack is that what it is i thought it was six yeah. inches <laughs>
1: I never heard of se- a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think. So.
0: Okay, <laughs> I don't I know, know. Maybe, maybe what? I heard that six foot, six pack, and six figures would probably make more sense. The six, six, six. Yeah. Something that I was thinking about this week, and and have been trying to help when it comes to my work and my team. I'm constantly trying to find frameworks and mental models and and. Rem- different ways to remind my team that I want them to be learning, pushing, innovating, always trying to be better in terms of their processes, in terms of their skill set, in terms of what we bring to the table for our clients. And I saw a really interesting framework that was, I thought was really cool and useful. And it's a japanese framework called shuha i don't know if i'm saying that i'm probably saying it probably butchering what it actually is supposed to sound like but it's made up of three parts representing a different stage in the learning process and shu which is the first part is where the student learns the traditions and practices the fundamentals so at this stage you're basically just following the teachers and teacher's instructions closely and you're not deviating from what you're being taught and then part two which is ha is where the student breaks free from the traditional teachings exploring and incorporating their own thoughts and experiences and they may experiment a bit and adapt what they have learned to their unique situation but they're still typically thinking within the constraints of probably often what they think of as best practices and based on what they've learned. And the final stage, the third stage, is where the student has internalized the teachings and transcends them. So they're no longer confined by the rules and traditions and they can create an intuitive and spontaneous way to tackle problems. The student in this stage has fully mastered the art and is now an artist in their own. And I've found that I think this track checks out. I know in my own experience of different skill sets, I've definitely gone through, I've always started out the first stage, always copying what other people are doing with this. So if you're learning guitar, what do you do? You learn the chords, you learn the fundamentals and you copy other, you play songs that have already been created before you, right? You don't pick up the guitar and immediately start to create your own music. If you're learning photography, same thing, you pick up a camera, you learn the fundamentals about lighting and perspective and framing and, and how the camera works. And then you copy other photographers that you really like. You try to get down their style. And then in either case, eventually you graduate to a point where a lot of those fundamentals start to become more like second nature and you don't have to, every photo you take every time you play a song you don't have to think about all those little things also details anymore mm-hmm. it's like having a, a sales pitch down really well to the point where you don't have to think about the words that you're saying anymore you can actually just spend time reading the other person's reactions to what you're saying mm-hmm. and the third part which is probably where most people just don't even get to is when you've mastered something to the point where you can break best practices and you can connect all the dots. Whereas before all these dots, all these bits of knowledge and wisdom were spread out, but you didn't really, you couldn't see the forest through the trees. All of a sudden you can think on your own terms. So I think you're in stage three when it comes to, when it comes to helping guys with their dick related problems, because you've read all the books. You've worked with so many guys, you've helped so many guys, you've interviewed so many guys, that you've gotten to the point where you can see what the best practices are out there. You can see the information that's commonly shared with the guys you're trying to help. And you've transcended that because you recognize what's bullshit. Mm -hmm. You recognize what's actually bad advice. And you've come up with your own sets of practices and protocols that help guys and that are your own like your sex meditations Mm -hmm. partly inspired by mojo but you've also recognized like clearly what wasn't working what wasn't going to work from 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 mojo and you made it your own Mm -hmm. and so i think you're on this path there for me i would say i'm in phase two Moving towards phase three when it comes to marketing and SEO, because that's such a broad category to learn. I think it's it's taken me a long time to really wrap my head around the fundamentals of that and and to be able to put that to practice. And there's so many nuances to it, not nearly niche enough. In pest control, if I was talking about pest control marketing, that's niche enough where I'm in more of a phase three because I understand that industry so well at this point. It's, it's been really easy to take everything I learned previously, apply it there, and then clearly see what is not working in the industry. But because I had to, I have to teach my team this and remind them like, you know, when I'm trying to push them to do more, do better, to not feel overwhelmed by everything that's out there and just recognize the stage that they're in And to be okay with that. And also to recognize that in any given skill or any given thing that you're learning, there's usually a few core principles that thread their way through every additional layer of complexity that's added on top of those core principles. For example, in SEO, search engine optimization, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing, the core fundamentals are create really good content, meaning content that's useful, and build relevant and authoritative backlinks. Technically, there are hundreds of ranking factors that you can pay attention to that make it feel really overwhelming and and complex. But the core principles of SEO and of the line of work that we do and that are important to keep in mind are make great, useful content, build relevant and authoritative backlinks. So I, I think, especially for people who get like shiny red object syndrome and, and especially in social media or social media marketing or in my line of work, it's really easy to think like the latest cutting edge thing is what's going to do it or be exciting or trying to adopt and create the latest tool and the latest tactic, but ultimately there's certain fundamentals that should just be focused on and that if you're the best at those fundamentals, then. All the complexities on top of that are a lot less important to pay attention to and let take up your brain space.
1: So once your team knows what level they're at, what is is it just, I, I guess like level three is really trying to encourage them to come up with their own.
0: None of my team is at level three.
1: I know, but once they are.
0: Yeah, I don't know that my team will get to level three under my tutelage. I was going to
1: say, is that when they move on from you? It's or not. There's...
0: They don't need to move on from me to be at level three. But because of how broad the thing that we do is, it just takes years to get mm-hmm. to a level level three. And the average employee right now sticks around for three years. And yeah. my team has two out of the three, three out of the four team members I have, one started a week and a half ago it's her first job out of college another one will start next monday it's her first job out of college another one started with me a year ago she had no experience in marketing or content marketing or seo natasha is the only one who is arguably close to level three because she's been doing this same kind of work with me for five years now and she is she's among the best of them like she just, the, I know what the industry average is like. I know what the results are that other people in her position and, and our firm get, and we're among the best. So she's now moving into this place where she's trying to transcend being the best based on industry averages and to come up with her own philosophies and ways of doing things to become a true artist in, in her own position
1: interesting
0: yeah and I I think a lot of it comes down to just how niche the thing that you're trying to learn is and how much time you're spending doing it and how Vince Lombardi says practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect
1: what do you mean by that perfect practice
0: it's not enough just to practice because you can practice the wrong thing and get really good at being bad
1: Mm, that's true.
0: You have to be skillfully practicing doing the right thing over and over again to get really good at that thing.
1: It's like mindful practicing. Yeah. Because I'm sure you get better and better, but you don't just practice the best thing from the beginning. Chances are.
0: Yeah, and and I think you're striving for the best thing in the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but you're, you're not capable of... Yeah. Of even coming close to the best thing in the beginning. But it's all part of the process.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So I, I was think gonna,
1: we'll... I was gonna bring up the Barbie movie, but maybe we'll do that next time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that would be That would be a good topic. That would be a good topic. Agreed. I liked it. Definitely worth seeing. If you want like just a yeah. fun, entertaining movie.
1: I didn't like it as much as you.
0: Yeah. Hot topic. Hot topic. Hot
1: topic coming up next.
0: (laughs) Cool. Talk to you next week.
1: Okay, bye guys.